Thank you for listening to this Belly Up Sports Podcast Network product. Some said we go belly up, so we made it our name, and we're still here. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to Theater and College Hoops. I'm Subi. Alongside me is Taylor Damel and the Shark. We're brought to you by Dash Radio's Nothing But Net channel and the Barnburner Podcast Network. Go subscribe on whichever device you use. I actually heard former Arizona sharpshooter Gabe York subscribe, so you should as well. Gabe York with one of the uh, better high school alley-oop dunks. If you remember, I think that actually might have been the apex of his career. But Gabe York, I, I, I joke a little bit. He had a really good career at Arizona. But Gabe York, he subscribes, so you should as well. Check out the website at thebarnburner.com. That's the-barnburner.com. And make sure to follow us on Twitter at CBB Theater. You should also follow me at Subi232 to find out where the feet is. And make sure to follow Taylor at Taylor Damel and the shark at the underscore shark underscore BB. Let's open the curtains. fellas so obviously no march madness due to covid but we are in the midst of a uh, the nba playoffs which is like a non-stop 12 hour days of uh, nba basketball like i said it's not the tournament it's not the same atmosphere there are some parallels that you could draw with i mean we've already seen an upset with with orlando over the bucks i don't think that'll last uh, the entire series, but if that was the NCAA tournament, I would say that's probably like a uh, that might be like a fourteen over a three, fifteen over a two. The Magic record wise are terrible, and they don't even have Aaron Gordon. But uh, no March Madness. We do have a ton of NBA. Shark will bring you in here first. Have you been catching some of the games? I have. I'll be honest. I completely was not into the kind of the <clears throat> the restart games that they had going. I, th- that wasn't for me. 
But ever since the playoffs started up, I've been getting a little bit more attached to that. You're right. It does have kind of a March Madness feel, not only because of the day games, but because of the little storylines like Jamal Murray going out and seeing Donovan Mitchell hanging out after a game, after having just played each other. I think they could easily, easily replicate this for the tournament, set up some pods, uh, bubble pods across the country, play regional games, and then let's make this happen for next March. You know, one thing I don't think that they can replicate and Taylor, you might be in agreement with me here, is uh, some IG model like bouncing around seven different Phoenix Suns players and treating them very nicely. Is that the scuttlebutt in the bubble? I, is, she even, is she even an IG model? She has like 600 followers or something ridiculous. She's like just that. a like just nothing. She has like less followers than I, I don't know. But uh, yeah, I mean, maybe I guess that's why the Suns were playing so badly in 2018 when this allegedly happened versus why they played so well in the bubble. Not a lot of outside distractions. Uh, that The bubble has been awesome, in my opinion, including the play-in game, or the, um, I, well, the play-in game, but also just, I, I liked the seeding games, giving a, a, you know, a team like the Suns, for example, a chance to, uh, to make it. And then I think I would like to see the play-in game um, be a permanent, uh, fixture of the end of the NBA season. As long as it was, uh, Subi and I have talked about this a lot, but as long as it was like within a game or two, not like you give a team four games back an opportunity to get in. But um, I know this is a basketball podcast, but it's also been nice to have hockey in the same situation as well. So you've got multiple sports in the same type of like March Madness atmosphere going on right now. And it has just been a welcome change to everything else we saw this summer. The games have been fantastic, actually. You're right. Especially like the Memphis, uh, who they play Blazers game. Obviously, Damian Lillard's going berserk right now. Uh, some of the games the other day, you know, Celtic Sixers was pretty competitive. Uh, I think we had a game go to overtime, the Donovan Mitchell game that you that you referenced there, Shark. Uh, speaking of the Shark, after that little IG comment, I saw him typing away furiously on his phone. You catch, find anything good? You find our girl? I'd, I had no clue what you guys were talking about. I, I do want to come. You can tell me once I'm done saying this point, but I don't think the playing game is going to be all that cool. I know that got a lot of, a lot of run recently. Uh, how, Oh, let's make this permanent. I think any normal season when you have some shitty nine seed playing an eight seed for the, the, the honor to play some one seed, nobody's going to care about that game. But the only reason it was a big deal on Saturday was because there's nothing else to do. I would also say it featured two of the most electric players in the league and John Morant and Dame Lillard. Like, let's say if we, what if it happened in the Eastern conference? I mean, we've got Nick Vucevic going up against who's, who's the nine seed. I That's still a play dude. Dame Lillard's been around for eight years. He's been doing this for eight years. It's no, he's just a good scorer. So I think you well, can re- replace that with anyone. There's nothing else to watch. As a, a lover of feet as we are, not every movie has to be an Oscar-winning performance, right? But as you can't, you know, win an Oscar without filming it, in you know, first. So I think that's why the playing game will wow. stay. But the opportunity for players to take that stage and maybe have a breakthrough performance. Can we go back to that quote? Was that Robert Frost? You can't win an Oscar without filming it. That was beautiful, Taylor. Thank you no, for sharing. That was that was Taylor Dammel. Yeah, thank you. Oh. I like that quite a bit. And you're right. I mean, some of my favorite films are slapstick comedies. That's actually pretty much the only type of film that I like. With the exception, though, I did, uh, Shark and I did watch Jojo Rabbit last weekend, an Oscar award winning film. Uh, kind of a lighthearted take on World War II and, and the Nazis and whatnot. So uh, that was really good theater. What did you compare it to there, Shark, on Twitter? So, so much Jojo Rabbit. 
in the 2013 Wichita State. Shockers. But yeah, to the extent you guys watch movies out there, to the people that are listening to this, if you watch movies or TV shows, you want to compare them to a very specific and a very unique college basketball team, hit me up. The Shark. But D underscore Shark underscore double B. You got it. Thank you. I might just start quizzing you periodically on what your Twitter handle is. Uh, But in the meantime, why don't we go ahead and dive in, continue to make some headway here on our list. Wait, the Suns thing. You didn't tell me about that. I know you're rushing through this podcast because you're cooking dinner tonight, but can you explain to me what's going on with the – you airing out my timeline is, is funny because you end every single episode with like, all right, I got to eat. I got dinner. I got dinner waiting for me. Uh, but Taylor, I actually just skimmed it a little. You might have to give a little bit more detail, but some girl like ran through and, you know, had sex or. Oh, uh, no, we don't. We don't want that. This is a family podcast. We don't need that. <laughs> well, Wait, that's five? why we fra- that's why we phrased it like we did the first time right. through. My, my treated, bad. treated them nicely. Yeah, yeah. We don't need that. What are we talking? Let's do fifteen here, Sue. I don't need. If you, if anyone could hear how awkward someone just got over over the airwaves, that I, mean, I think this is the perfect example. But yeah, we can dive right in uh, at fifteen. We're making some serious serious noise here, fellas. Top fifteen now. I remember when we just started this, we were just little cubs, and uh, we were we were infants in this COVID game, and now we're grizzled veterans, disgusting beards, uh, long hair. And so now we are here with the top 15. Let's kick it off at 15. Out of the American uh, Athletic Conference, it is the Cincinnati Bearcats. They have two national titles, six Final Fours, 29 conference titles, eight Elite Eights, 13 Sweet Sixteens, and 33 NCAA tournament appearances. I actually think this has stood the test of what the Sharks said even before we started this uh, this whole countdown. He said, you're going to see some teams that you're going to be surprised at their seating or their ranking. And I, I, I don't think any team embodies that over these 50 more so than the Cincinnati Bearcats coming in at 15. If you said to someone, do you think Cincinnati's a top 15 team? Obviously, these are our, uh, these are our opinions. These are our different weighted, weights that we have and what we think is important to the best programs. But even if you said top 15, top 25, I don't think a lot of people would would say that Cincinnati uh, is is in that realm, but they are the epitome of a surprise team. They are coming in at fifteen, but if you look at the numbers, it makes sense. Uh, the number of Final Fours is actually what stands out to me the most. They've had steady success, especially recently, but no real deep runs in the tournament. Uh, and Huggins, Kenyon Martin—that's probably the coach and player tandem that I think of the most. You obviously have to think of Mick Cronin, who's currently at UCLA, but he had a really good run there uh, with the Bearcats. And so I would also like to say that they have some great uniforms uh, and a great mascot name. It's original, it's fierce, great color scheme, red and black. But those uh, Kenyon Martin era uniforms—I think they had like the either the stripes or the claw prints on on their shoulder blades those were great uh and i would just re- generally say it's a great time to be a basketball team from that general area of ohio in our call in our, our discussion with john fanta last week uh, we basically said you know there's you got xavier you got dayton Wright state had a great year and obviously cincinnati so cincinnati coming in at 15 i can't talk about them without speaking about kenyon and uh bob huggins and obviously mccronan taylor i'll kick it to you first what are your thoughts on the bearcats here well, I guess as the resident guy who wants to always bring up 
uh, basketball from the 50s and and before. I uh, can't talk about Cincinnati without talking about the big O, Oscar Robertson, uh, three-time first-team All-American there from Cincinnati and led them to probably their most success as that's when they were, won back-to-back NCAA titles and went to five straight, four straight, five straight Final Fours. Uh, the first team ever to go to five straight Final Fours, uh, 59, 60, 61, 62, 63. They had a four, or the 15th, 14th winningest basketball program of all time. Had 42 All-Americans. Just These type of numbers are just not what you would have expected from Cincinnati. Um, but their long-standing amount of constant success, like you said, without deep tournament runs, they have made the tournament now 10 consecutive years in current times as well. So you have a long stretch of success. And uh, alluding to kind of what you said about the area that they're in, they've always been a gritty basketball program they've never been an up and down score a thousand points type of program Mick Cronin shit they scored like 45 points a game when Mick Cronin was coach there but that's seemingly what every Cincinnati game has been like they always seem to have you know a Kenyon Martin type a a very athletic uh forward or guard uh, uh Lance Stevenson even um who long athletic but just kind of fits the mold of the program uh, I would say that they're a great example of a team where now as we get into our rankings, the numbers don't quite matter as much. And this is where kind of maybe our personal thoughts start to come into things because Cincinnati is here because of their numbers, obviously. But they you're kind of starting to split hairs at this point. In the top 15 basketball programs of all time, they're all going to have Final Fours. They're all going to have national championships. They're all going to have All-Americans. Um, but similarly to what you said, this is probably the most surprising team of our top 15. I'm glad none of you brought this. Oh, you, you touched on it a little bit. You, you brought up the big O. Oscar Robertson didn't even win one of those titles for him. So there, there is an era, a period of Cincinnati where we're, we're all talking about kind of their, their traditional player, the tough guy, the Kenyon Martin, Danny Fortson, you know, the anti Gates, Lance Stevenson. But from 1958 to 1964, like baby boomer territory right there. Cincinnati just ran college basketball. The five straight final fours that Taylor mentioned, this was like the prototypical kind of, uh, in my head, I'm picturing, you ever seen um, Armageddon when they're about to send off the astronauts to go into space and they're doing like a montage of middle America and there's like a kid, you know, playing with his train and there's a milkman dropping the milk off and there's like some freaking guy on a tractor you could take the 58 to 64 Cincinnati Bearcats and plug them into that montage right there because these guys were the face of the baby baby boomers middle America middle, you know that part of the country um, era of basketball when they just absolutely dominated they went the five straight final fours that was only topped by UCLA with John Wooden so pretty good company right there and then aside from that they have the current resume of all these other teams that we've brought up beforehand, very similar to like what you'd get out of Arkansas or the amount of appearances that you would see from St. John's, Georgetown, actually a little bit more than both of those, plus the two titles in the Final Four success that they've had. So let me jump in here. Were you saying that Oscar Robertson didn't win because he was there for three of those, but he didn't win one on yeah, either he side? Yeah, um, he didn't win. He didn't win. He got to the Final Four. It wasn't even that. Oh, 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 excuse me. I misheard what you. No, yeah, he did. He was the National Player of the Year in 61. No, I'm talking about whether or not they won the title. 
Huh. Okay. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yes. Okay. Sorry. That's my Wait. mistake. That's my mistake. No, you're correct. Hold, you're hold correct. on. I might, did, did, was he on that 61 team? Let's look this up. Uh, you might be correct. I, I was, uh, I mean, we're not, I, I was thinking that, uh, um, you said final fours. So that's my mistake. You are correct. They didn't win either of those with Oscar Robertson, but to show you how good those teams were with Oscar Robertson and how good college, you know, the teams that they lost to at the time, Oscar Robertson won the NBA MVP in 1964 while this, while his alma mater was right at the end of that run. So that shows you not only, how crazy it is that Oscar Robertson didn't win any of those titles, but how good Cincinnati must have been in that time that the dude was literally one year out of two years out of college and was winning an NBA MVP while his alma mater was running college basketball, essentially. Everyone or everything about Cincinnati just seems very understated. Even if you ask someone, where did Oscar Robertson go? Who perennially, and if you ask or poll or ask a lot of analysts, pundits, they will have the big O in their top 10 of all-time players uh, in NBA history. Not a lot of people will be able to answer you and tell you that it's Cincinnati. I mean, the very first player that I think of was Kenyon Martin, and I have kind of waxed poetically on him already. I even forgot that Lance Stevenson was there. But, yeah, they have some dudes as well. Uh, I'd like to say that Jaron Cumberland is a uh, Van Walderhouse guy. He's been there forever. Uh, but Mick Cronin used to have those guys come through his program, I think. Who was the other one? Uh, he's he's in the league, or he was in the league now. He was on the Nets for a little. I think he was there. Oh, Sean Kilpatrick. Good God. Sean Kilpatrick was on that team for, for forever. Uh, but, yeah, Cincinnati. And I'm glad you brought up Yancey Gates also there, Shark. Uh, one of the – I mean, depending on how you look at it, but a lot of people clutch their pearls when it comes to fights. I thought Can it was I- pretty sweet. Can I throw you one more in that same mold that we're talking about? Another four-year Cincinnati player that's just the face of Cincinnati basketball? Kind of want to guess. Give me a little hint. If, I, if Und- it takes too long, we'll cut it. Undersized power forward, played in the league for a while. He could probably run with, like, Dewan Blair, um, Big Baby Davis. Uh, <sighs> I was going to say Dewan Blair, because I mean, but obviously he went to Pitt. Um, no. Taylor, you have a guess? Danny Fortson. No, little little after Danny Fortson. He played like okay. Danny but kind of same mold though. Yep. Yeah. Keep going. Six, he, yeah. played, he played for the Pistons. Oh, Jason Maxiel. That's your boy. Max Jason Maxiel. Holy yep. shit. <laughs> That's good. He he could throw down. Jason Maxiel was a great dunker. Uh, but yeah, Cincinnati just very understated about them, but they do come in uh, at the 15 spot. Let's move on then to number 14. And we're going to go to Ann Arbor. It's Michigan. Number one, uh, they have a one national title. Excuse me, fump, fumbled that. But one national title, eight Final Fours, 14 conference titles, 14 Elite Eights, sweet, 16 Sweet 16s, Jesus Christ, uh, and 29 NCAA tournament appearances uh, for the Michigan Wolverines. An iconic university as it pertains to sports. Football, it's it's obviously first and foremost a football school, but their basketball program can't be overlooked either. A university that is consistently really good, but I'm not sure I'm ready to say that they're always great. Uh, the Fab Five, you could argue, is the most influential team in college basketball history, maybe even just basketball as a whole. They set an entire culture, um, and and not only with the baggy shorts, the black shoes, things like that, and how their their freestyle of play, uh, but also just the thought of starting five freshmen in uh, a big time basketball game. Right now, we see it 
not I wouldn't say all the time, but three, four out of your five starters are typically freshmen. Uh, it's for the high, high higher echelon teams like a Kentucky, like a Duke. Uh, and so Michigan has been to has since been to two national title games, most recently losing to Villanova and also losing to Louisville, which you know a lot of people could say that they got cheated out of that Louisville game with the Trey Burke block uh, on Peyton Siva. If you go back and rewatch that game, Michigan fans are probably still salty about that, rightfully so. Villanova one, they had no chance. No one really had a chance against that Nova team. Uh, but they have been to two national title games recently, and now they have Juwan Howard leading the way. I will want. To, I do want to ask you guys this before we get your general thoughts on Michigan. Who would you say right now is Michigan's best player in the NBA? For my money, uh, and it's going to be interesting. You could you could say Tim Hardaway maybe, but I would actually even go and say maybe Duncan Robinson. Like who else is their best player in the league? Karis Levert. Karis Levert. Okay, yeah, he's been showing out. Good call. He's better than both of them. I thought you said you watched the bubble games. Come on. Yeah, if anything, that would play towards Duncan Robinson. He's like the greatest shooter to ever live right now. I know Karis LeVert's doing it as well, but isn't Dinwiddie not playing? Like somebody's got to do it for Brooklyn. But whatever. We should be talking about Michigan and why they're number 14. Is that my platform right there? All right, so that's my platform. I would venture to say – you know, full disclosure, I rank Cincinnati above on my on my own big board. I rank Cincinnati above Michigan. Michigan's resume is very weird. It's like someone that is brilliant, brilliant and smart, but does not apply himself across uh, a full semester. You know, he takes days off. He's very inconsistent. There really is two wave tops of Michigan's basketball uh, journey. They have obviously the early 90s when they had the Fab Five, and then they had these two fluke runs. And I think they kind of were fluke runs with John Beeline in 2013 and 2018 when they ended up playing in the finals. I didn't think they were all that great of a school, all that great of a team. I remember the one game when Trey Burke, shout out to the guys that were with me that night, best night ever. They'll get that joke at the Joshua Tree Joshua Tree in Brighton in Boston. Trey Burke hits a three against Kansas, knocked out Kansas that year and just completely ruined the evening for a lot of folks involved. Um but when you look at the, what Michigan's done, they, they in the early 2000s, there were nothing. In the late 90s, they really didn't have much going on. They have a cup of coffee of success dating back to, it looks like, 1976 and 65. But there really are just two wave tops for a school that should be perennially dominant. So is, is Michigan like Will Hunting then? Incredibly smart, just doesn't really apply himself, just doesn't want to? Well, no. I think Will Hunting didn't have opportunity like Michigan's got freaking opportunity. Why, why aren't they good? They, they should be good a lot longer. Uh, I mean, they're, they're one of those public schools that are a, a pretty strong academically as well. So they should be able to recruit people in the same way that Texas does. Granted, we have them ranked above Texas on this list. So what does that say about them? But you get my point. Like they, they should perennially be good and they haven't. Where the hell were they in the mid two thousands? Where the hell were they in the late nineties? Would you say that maybe they're like Ferris Bueller that when they, they don't show up all the time, but when they do and everyone really likes them and they excel almost all the way to the top. Yeah. Because there's a little bit more entitlement and opportunity that Ferris fab, Bueller had, yeah. but fab fab five, that was like save Ferris was kind of like the fab yeah, five, I, you know, a whole movement. That's a little better. That's a little better. I'm at, you know what? You, 
I'm going to go into the lab. I'm going to come out with one at the end of your topic here about what Michigan is. Taylor. Cool. Thank you. Thank you. Um, no, you, you put it exactly correct in saying that they have a very strange resume. They're not even in the top 100 or top 50 in all-time wins in NCAA history. But they've made, they make the Elite Eight almost half the time that they make the tournament. 29 tournament appearances, 14 Elite Eights. That's a wild stat to say that anyone who is from Michigan can coin flip their way into essentially the second biggest weekend of the year in college basketball and have a shot at it. I know that this doesn't matter quite as much. Um, and we don't really take this into account for, um, you know, like tournament appearances and how a team is perceived. They have gone to the NIT 10 times, which means that they have been, even though they don't make the tournament in those years, they're essentially a bubble team those years, which essentially puts them on TV in a quote-unquote important game throughout February. So that's maybe why they're thought of as highly as they are. Not only are they a big name, but they are seemingly playing important games all the time. They're just not always winning those games, except for when they get to the tournament. Then they are winning those games. And that's really what counts. You know, There's another team on this list that we'll get to that is kind of the opposite of Michigan in terms of their tournament success versus their regular season success. Um, but I think as a fan, uh, you have to love the number of, you know, tournament games you get to, or uh, final four games you've gotten to, and especially national championship games you've gotten to uh, in lieu of maybe the long-term year over year over year success. Uh peaking at the right time, I think is probably what every fan or most fans would want rather than, uh, you know, a bunch of tournament appearances without some top end success. Like Cincinnati, for example, the last 50 years, they're making the tournament all the time, but they're not going anywhere. Michigan, they're get they're not always getting to the tournament, but they're going all the way up when they get there. Uh, I will say before Subi jumps in here and he was probably about to bring this up, but they have probably, yeah, I know he's not, uh, you know, there anymore, but was John Beeline maybe the most underrated coach in college basketball for a decade? Was he the most underrated coach in Michigan for a decade, if not more? Yeah, no, I think it's a fair point you bring up. And everyone always talks about Tom Izzo and like it's January, February, Izzo. Uh, for a long time, that was actually John Beeline. Real ones would actually know that. While Izzo's losing to Middle Tennessee State, Beeline's taking his team to two national title game appearances. And obviously, Izzo has been to a Final Four, I think, just a couple years back. Uh, but I'm, I'm with you on that one, Taylor. Yeah, I know that um, he, or, you know, Jawan Howard has taken over for him now, and we'll have to see how much success that has. And maybe that will kind of uh, boost Michigan up here in terms of how they're thought of nationally or their or their success by bringing in a, a you know an alum. Uh, and hopefully he is successful. I, I used to not really like Michigan, but I think I'm cool with them now, especially through the beeline era. Um, I, 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 it is interesting though, Shark. I, I, I can't really put my finger on why Michigan should be here other than their tournament success. Do you see, I mean, how much further can these guys go? Like if Joan Howard takes them to a final four in the next couple of years in they, terms they of our rankings. More. Yeah, so the reason they're so high in our rankings are strictly because of their Final Fours. We In our database, you can pull up what Michigan's done in terms of appearances, Sweet 16s, Final Fours, and all that, and they are right next to Utah. Utah and Michigan have nearly identical resumes, with the only difference being Utah, uh, Michigan's made the Final Four four more times than them. So they've made the exact same amount of tournaments. They've made the exact same amount of Sweet 16s. There's a difference in Elite Eights, but Utah, who I was down on, um, is that close to Michigan? And the only difference is that, you know, 
recently with Beeline, Michigan's been able to get over the hump. So I, I think, you know, whether it's fair or not, I value um, tournament success closer to now strictly because I think it's a more competitive league and it's harder to do it now than it was back in the baby boomer era with Cincinnati. But right now it's a little bit harder to do. And Michigan's able to be successful because they had a great coach who I would agree was the most underrated coach in, in his time frame when he was there in John Beeline. But I don't know if Juwan Howard's going to do it. You know, It's a different ball game. I think Beeline also had the perfect mix of players and just your perfect quintessential players that you need to make deep runs in the NCAA tournament. It's not just a bunch of five stars or, or like top five picks going in the draft, but you have guys that are on the cusp or on the edge of being the Naismith player of the year, like a Mo Wagner or Trey Burke, or you have a clutch guy in Trey Burke. You have Mo Wagner who's just steady and is going to give you production out the ass, right? Uh, you even have guys off the bench like a Spike Albrecht, right? Stauskas, who was a top 10 pick, uh, but he probably shouldn't have been. But these Mitch, guys Mitch are McGarry. Mitch McGarry. Yeah, big ass Mitch McGarry, who I think he was actually a, a a candidate for a where am I? I was doing a little research on Mitch McGarry. I think he's a bowler now. So it doesn't necessarily no. fit the yeah, he's a bowler. He looks like such a bowler. Mitch, McG- I mean, Mitch McGarry was Mitch McGarry is like his his feet were like cinder blocks, but mm-hmm. Good ball player for me. <laughs> I will. I, I do want to jump. Or I, I was. Or excuse me. I do want to jump in and say that it's interesting. You bring up a great point in that there are teams since the Fab Five who are maybe the flashiest team in NCAA history, along with the UNLV teams that were in that same exact era. They haven't had a flashy team since then. You know, and they've all been under the radar, like you said, four, four star, high four star, high three star team players and a couple of them have been like legitimate studs who went on to play in the NBA. Don't get me wrong, but they haven't had a flashy team, even though their peak was maybe the flashiest team in the history of college basketball. I was going to come up with, and I feel kind of nerdy for saying this, but like the best comparison that I could come up for Michigan. And again, you know, please make fun of me for this because it is nerdy, but for some reason, Jamie Lannister was what I was getting in my head from Michigan because it's just some entitled family. He should be successful, but he's never really he never really rises to the point where he's running shit. Uh, he's got his ups and downs. You know, you like him one second, then you're like, "What the fuck's this guy doing?" The next second, that's what I came up with. Please feel free to mock me for that nerd reference. I'm not a Game of Thrones guy. I mean, I'm all for the theater references, but you know I'm a staunch opponent of Game of Thrones. Don't care. Especially after I was proven right after season eight. Everyone just having a meltdown about Starbucks coffee cups and everything like that. So I couldn't have said it better myself, Suey. We'll move on then to uh, number 13, and that is out of the ACC, the Syracuse Orange. One national title, six Final Fours, 10 conference titles, 10 Elite Eights, 23 Sweet 16s, and 40 NCAA tournament appearances. Real quick, I want to talk about best player and fan favorite for Cincinnati, Oscar Robertson, Kenyon Martin, good with that. Best player in Michigan, Chris Weber, fan favorite we said was Glenn Rice. We might have to put that in the appendix, come back to that a little later because I, I don't know if it's, if it's Glenn Rice, but he's on there. But anyway, let's uh, focus our attention then to Syracuse. If you're a Big East team, it seems like you just hate Syracuse. And a lot of people, generally speaking, not necessarily just in the Big East, but across the country, just don't like Syracuse. Their fans, their 2-3 zone, even some of their players. I mean, you think of a guy like 
fucking Eric Devendorf. He just looks like a like a like some guy like a villain uh, typecast. Uh, it feels like Syracuse is the villain of the Big East, even though they're currently in the ACC and they draw the most ire amongst those other teams in the Big East. They had that 2003 run, obviously spearheaded by true freshman Carmelo Anthony. In my opinion, him and AD were two of the best freshman seasons we've, we've ever seen. It's not like I'm going out on a limb saying that. Uh, I would. I, I think not of. I think they are the two best freshman seasons we've ever seen. And I might just give the nod to Carmelo because he wasn't surrounded with an MKG or uh, some other crazy talent that Kentucky had. Uh, and you know, only one national title there for Syracuse, though, for Beheim, which you'd expect he'd have more especially how he's regarded, how many wins he's had. Uh, He's been there since fucking like the 20s, it seems like. He's been there forever, but only one national title there for Bayheim. Went to a Final Four back in, I think it was 2014 or 2015 with the likes of Tyler Lydon. They had no business going to the Final Four, yet they did. I think they were maybe an 11 seed. They were a low seed that year. It was the year that they beat Virginia. Uh, and that was the year prior to Virginia losing to UMBC, I think. But as of late, it seems like Hughes barely scrapes into the tournament. They're always that 11 seed playing in the play-in game. Uh, and th- that's kind of their ceiling at this point. Beheim's not going anywhere uh, unless it's him retiring. They're not going to force him out. But, man, they did have some legendary years in the, in the, pretty much each decade that Beheim has, has been at the helm there. Shark, uh, as our resident ACC guy, what are your thoughts on the orange there here at 13? You know, I, I could recite all the numbers that you did as well. Talk about how tenured Ben uh, Beheim is and how long of their success has been. The one thing that stands out to me with Syracuse, and I went through and confirmed this just by reviewing all the names and all the teams that we listed on our list. Syracuse is the only school where the name of the university reflects some city that you never otherwise would have heard of, or no one would have known what Syracuse is had it not been for that college basketball program. No one would ever know anything about Syracuse, New York. It would be like having a school called Scranton for Scranton, Pennsylvania, but you would automatically connotate Scranton as being this perennial college basketball program. And that's exactly what the whole point of this list exercise is, is just to show What are the great programs? And Syracuse, when you say that word, when you say that name, you're automatically going to think of these elite college basketball players that come out of that school. And they do have the stats to back it up. The amount of tournament experiences they have, the fact that they've won, the fact that they've been successful recently. Um, Bayheim's been there for like how long long at this point? I mean, he's, he's been there since the 70s, hasn't he? This is his, the last year was his 42nd year. I got him at 45 seasons coaching, 45 years. Like he's past the life life expectancy of people. I don't want to trigger any nations, but a a nation, an impoverished (laughs) nation. All right. He's probably past the life expectancy of a war-torn, impoverished nation at this point, coaching at Syracuse. And he's built Syracuse into this program where you, you say that, you think college basketball, you don't think of a city. And that, to me, is the most impressive thing that they've done. I will say real quick, if you went with Scranton, you could have just like used a real life example with the office. I, mean, I don't think people understand what or no care about Scranton, but when you think Scranton, think the well, office. Yeah, I, 
I mean, I, of course, yeah, it's the same thing. And that's what I was trying to get at. That's why I chose Scranton right there. One, because it's a similar size city, the same part of the country, all that sort of stuff going on. But if if you took the university, Syracuse University, whatever that is, if it's you or of Syracuse or SU, whatever it is, and put that in a different, you know, kind of blue, uh, mid-sized city in the Northeast and they done everything, you you would automatically know where that city was and know everything about that city, much like you do with Syracuse. You know, in all my years of college basketball fanhood, I don't think I've ever heard anyone refer to Syracuse as SU before. So that's yeah. all. That's a first as well. Yeah. But, uh, but uh, obviously, Syracuse is Bayheim, and Bayheim is Syracuse. And I think that's why maybe they aren't a little higher on the list given their tournament appearances, but also they aren't higher on the list given their lack of conference tournament or conference regular season titles. Uh, in 115 years, they only have 10 conference titles which kind of shows us that they are consistent but they aren't peaking all that often uh even that 2016 year where they were the 10 seed played Dayton in the first round there um nobody thought they were making the final four year that was a completely random year uh you'd love to have as a fan you'd love to have a completely random year as final at a final four so can't take that away from them but that was definitely not exactly like the finest team that Syracuse ever had what Syracuse will need to do to move higher on this list um, even, you know, outside of winning another national championship is they need to prove that they are more than a one coach program. And I know that is kind of like splitting hairs and Syracuse fans would probably disagree with that statement. But as we see through the annals of college basketball history, right, it has to be a consistent thing across not only eras, but coaches as well. Is it, is it has the coach built the program or has the program built the coach? In this situation, I don't know if you can differentiate between those two. So I would say where Syracuse will uh, will, will rank in the long-term umbrella view of college basketball, long past us doing this pa- podcast, is whenever Bayheim retires, can they maintain that success with another coach? Or is Bayheim the end-all, be-all of Syracuse basketball? I don't know if we're ever going to get that uh, answer here. <laughs> yeah, we might have to wait 10, 20 more years, right? Bayheim just not going anywhere. Bayheim, Bayheim's asleep on the sidelines during those Team USA practices. I mean, he's just not going anywhere. Actually, Bayheim does the uh, Bayheim does your shark your uh, your leg cross that type of leg cross where it's not a full ninety degree angle, but oh, yeah, a yeah. little uh, calf on the knee. Yeah, that's what we're calling it—the calf on the knee. To be clear, I've only developed this leg post thirty. I've begun doing the leg cross where you take your calf and you rest it, rest it gently on the knee. Um, you know, when you were younger, if you were to sit like this, you would be teased for being—I mean, look, I don't condone this word, but this is what people would have said. They would have called you gay for sitting that way. Um, that was just the way things were in the mid mid two thousands and late two thousands. So that's what people said. You sat like that, you were crushing your balls a little bit. That's what they would have told you. Nowadays, post 30, it's the it's a sign of comfort, being at peace with comfort and not caring what other people think about how you sit. So Bayheim owns that look. He's made the tournament 40 times. He can sit however you can sit, you know, cross-legged or in downward dog if you wanted to during some type of game. The knee does act as a nice massage element to to the calf. If you ever have like a strained calf or a little little tightness in there, maybe just let your knee act as a as a masseuse, if you will. Uh, so yeah, Syracuse there coming in at thirteen. Best player, Carmelo Anthony. I'm pretty pretty set on that. Syracuse uh, has has said that as well. And then fan favorite Jerry McNamara. Uh, that is the Sharks boy. That's a lot of people's boys. 
Uh, Jerry McNamara, a good, good answer there. Let's move on to number 12. Out of the Big Ten, it's the Ohio State Buckeyes. One national title, 11 Final Fours, 22 conference titles, 15 Elite Eights, 15 Sweet Sixteens, and 33 NCAA tournament appearances uh, for the Buckeyes. Big brother to Michigan. No other way to put it. Big brother to Michigan. They dominate them on the football field, and here they are on our Titch uh, Manifesto countdown a couple spots ahead of the Wolverines. Their little brother. Uh, Michigan is a little brother to them. 11 Final Fours is absolutely insane, uh, and had no idea Ohio State had that type of resume. Looking back on it, they probably should have more national titles than just the one. The best team of late, I think we can agree, was, of course, Odin, Conley, Ron Lewis, that team that lost to Florida. And they've had some solid head coaches at Ohio State as well. And the consistency at the program is something that I think needs to be needs to be highlighted. You know, you got guys like Thad Mata and now Chris Holtman, uh, good coaches, good, solid coaches. Mata, obviously, uh has a reputation Holtman developing his reputation, especially what he's done with what he did with Butler. Now he's what he's hoping to do with Ohio state. And I think we mentioned this shark with Fanta as well. If Odin doesn't have that broken hand against Florida, that's the one team Florida where it's tough to play hypotheticals because they were so damn good. I mean, they were the best team of our college basketball watching generation, but man, that is an interesting. What if, if Odin doesn't have his broken hand, cause he played so well, even with it, uh, they might have two national titles as opposed to only the one. Shark, your thoughts on Ohio State? Definitely benefited from a long-standing program. A lot of those Final Fours we referenced, they—I mean—they churned up from 1939 to 1946. So, you know, World War II is going on. Ohio State kept kept clicking right there during winning titles and making Final Fours and boosting their resume. Um, but you know, they're they're still they're still an accomplished program. I was listening to. I think it was Rosillo's podcast um, and they had Chris Holtman come on there and kind of the u- unique dynamic with a school like Ohio state is yes, they may be big brother to a school like Michigan, but they are like the bastard little brother of, you know, their own athletic on their, on their university. I butchered the delivery of that one right there, but nobody cares about Ohio state basketball relative to Ohio state football. And they're never going to get over that. So it was funny hearing Holtman talk about, Hey, look, you, you have this good program, a program that's been successful for you know over a hundred years, and you can't go out and recruit a kid from LA, or you can't go recruit a kid from Florida. You still got to just stay in the Midwest because you're you're Ohio State. Nobody thinks of you like a basketball school. Uh, so yes, they've had a lot of success. A lot of that is kind of dated. Uh, they've had great players come out of that program. Um, they were good last year, and I think they're the kind of program with Holtman in charge of them right now where he could easily get them into a top 10 type program because he's a disciple of Brad Stevens and any, any disciple of Brad Stevens is going to go on to group, do phenomenal things. Yeah. Any school like Ohio state or Michigan really, or Texas, like we, we talked about earlier, even though they're not a, a basketball school, they have every opportunity to be the best or one of the best basketball programs in the country or the conference each and every year, simply because they have the money, the facilities, the name, so on and so forth. So it's interesting that Ohio state hasn't had phenomenal years in the last 20 years or so since big spending really started to happen in college basketball. You know, they play in what is essentially an NBA arena there in Columbus. Um, And so they have every opportunity to become even better than they are. I will say that they are 
you know, they were so close to being so much higher on this list if they would have gone through and won any of those final fours that they were in, especially in the 60s uh, and 50s or 40s, excuse me, World War II, like you said. Um, they did lose the first national championship game to Oregon back in 1939. That doesn't really mean all that much uh, at this point. But uh, it is interesting. I was, I, I was shocked by the, the fact that they had 11 final fours. Because that number belongs, if you took that number alone, that number would belong in our top five, if not our top three. Uh, and more than even some of the schools that are even higher up on this list, uh, that's for sure. Um, the Would you think of them, I know we kind of referenced this, but would you have moved them up any further, even if they had won that 2007 national championship game? I kind of feel like they'd still be in the same spot. I would have moved him up. I think he would have had to, especially knowing that they beat that Florida team. Yeah. I, I, mean, yeah, I, I think yeah, you'd yeah. have to do right. that. Yeah, maybe, may, maybe one or two spots, yeah, I guess. They, they should definitely be ahead of the school that's currently ahead of them that we're about to talk about, even as sure. things stand right now. So not, not that I'm dropping any hints on what's coming next year. The guy. The guy doesn't think history in the 30s and 40s matters until until it makes his own point that he wants to make, right? Well, it'd be nice if this next school had some actual history in the 30s and 40s, but to my recollection, you guys didn't do jack shit then. So <laughs> it's called yeah. it's called moving the goalposts here. But this is a nice wow. little segue. I like I like the segue. Uh, Ohio State. We said best player Jerry Lucas, fan favorite Greg Oden. Uh, I think you could even make the case that Oden was the best player, despite obviously his struggles in the NBA, but his time, his one year at Ohio State uh, was that damn great. Uh, but yes, let's move on to number 11 well, now. No love for John Havlicek there? I was about to bring up Havlicek actually yeah. too. You're right. Hug for Havlicek. Uh, number also, 11. Before though. you go again. I what mean, are you, you're just interrupting I mean, me. I'm just trying, I'm trying, I'm trying I'm, to I'm, segue the, here. What do you want? That second interruption was on purpose because I wanted to go back and do a little slight little first down dance when you said nice segue into leading into the next thing. You were complimenting me, and my retort to that would be, I mean, no shit. I'm a, I'm a professional over here. You know, I know what I'm doing. Everything's premeditated, partner. Quote that movie for me. Quote that movie. 40-year-old virgin. Uh, I actually might use my little splicing and editing skills to uh, cut – and paste some audio. I think it was just maybe five minutes ago where you just said you butchered the delivery of a comparison. Yeah. Clean that up. No, I'm, I'm going to use it right after you said I'm a professional. Yeah. No shit. All right. Actually, that's pretty good. That's good. Good bit. Good, good poll. Can I move on now? Yeah, please. Number 11 uh, out of the pack 12. It's the Arizona wildcats. One national title, four final fours, 27 conference titles, 11 elite eights, 19 Sweet 16s, and 36 NCAA tournament appearances. I'm going to kick it to Taylor right now, but theater goer, if you need to get a cup of coffee, if you need to make yourself a sandwich, you need to go get some gas, uh, if you need to do any sort of errand, feel free to do it right now because uh, I, I have a feeling our man Taylor here is going to uh, go get on his soapbox, deservedly so. This is, this is our team. This is his favorite team, obviously. Uh, but like I said, if you need to get something done, Feel free to do it. If you need to walk the dog, you know, the dog might take a little pee, wear itself out, then come back and poop, and you might be done with the segment. So, Taylor, have at it. Should we splice in uh, Bear Down Arizona right now? Maybe uh, the whole song when we edit this? Yeah, I think we should. Uh, I think we should. No, I'm not going to wax, wax poetically that long about 
the greatest school in the desert, I guess we'll call them. The Harvard of the desert, the University of Arizona. Um, I think the reason that they are at 11, though, is that uh, they essentially took over uh, West Coast basketball when there was no other school. Uh, you know, UCLA had a couple runs in there from their run in like the 60s and 70s. Uh, obviously, they uh, were good in the mid-90s with Ed O'Bannon, and then they were, um, you know, they had those final four runs in the 2000s with Ben Howland. But over the course of that time, once John Wooden went away, it was essentially Arizona the whole time with the UNLV popped in there. Gonzaga has popped up in there now. But the one stalwart of West Coast basketball has been Arizona since Lute Olson took over in the early 80s. Um, and that's not to say, obviously, UCLA is a better basketball program as a whole by far. Uh, if you look at all of the numbers, but that's, you know, Arizona has been the consistent team on the West coast. They were one of the coolest quote unquote schools in the country when they came in that kind of nineties era, uh, along with like that Michigan team and UNLV team that we've referenced because they played that up and down run and gun. Uh, one of Lou Olson's teams averaged 96 points. I believe it was per game over across an entire season that really set kind of the tone for what Arizona basketball is about. Uh, they have, Probably the, you know, the best home court advantage in the West uh, as well. Gonzaga is up there too, and um, but they have played a much smaller arena. Uh, they've led Pac-12 in attendance for something like 34 years in a row. Um, but really, the story about Arizona, as even for me, the grand optimist, is despite the fact that until Kentucky's recent run, they had the most draft picks over the last 30 years, they had the most NBA players, the most tournament appearances, all these things, is that Arizona doesn't have top end success. They have four final fours, despite at one point owning the uh, record for most consecutive tournament appearances, the record for most number of draft picks, most number of first round draft picks, so on and so forth. They don't have that top end success. The reason that they, I think that they are ahead of a team school like Syracuse, for example, is exactly that Bayheim point that I was making. If Lute, if Arizona's program would have ended with Lute Olson. Then we then Arizona would be much further back than this, but they did transition to another coach, Sean Miller, despite his faults as a coach. However, we want to phrase that um, he still had them as one of the best recruiting schools, one of the best three or four recruiting schools in the country over across the last decade. He's been to three elite eights, and I, I say this all the time as a fan, um, and and you could probably say this about other schools. I just don't know the history of the other schools as much as I know about Arizona, and that is. Arizona has lost, I think it's, let me see, one, two, three, four, five. They've lost five Elite Eight games in a row. And Elite Eight games are coin flips. And so um, the same way that we talked about Ohio State could be much higher on the list if they would have won any of those coin flip national championship games, Arizona could potentially be higher on the list if they won any of those coin flip Elite Eight games. Shark, I'll bring you in here because, you know, in Psychiatry 101, or maybe it was psychology 101 back in back in high school you're you're told that the last thing you hear is the one there is the sentiment or the ideology that you take away from it so i'm sure you're going to have some sort of negative pompous remarks so i want to make sure the theater goer gets a nice fair uh balanced perspective on arizona when i deliver it so i'll let you jump in here i would just say what you were trying to say is primacy recency baby you know first thing in is important. Last thing out is important as well. So what I'm saying right now is freaking useless, which is what you were just trying to say. So I get your point. Um, That's how you moderate, by the way. Yeah, that's nice. I, I mean, what, I mean, what do you want me to say? You want me to say that 
you guys are proud of, you know, the fact that you have two chapters of success with Ludos and, and Sean Miller, both of which are um, a key part of their tenure running your program is looked into by the NCAA for sanctions for what they did in terms of illegal recruiting. Do you want me to say that? Cause I'll say that congrats. You got two chapters that are good, but you know, how's that make you better program than Syracuse who's made the final four just as many times made the tournament just as many times won as many titles as you. you Syracuse that had the sexual assault uh, claims it's just a, like three, three years ago. You're right. I mean, that was, that's way better than, than that. It's got nothing. It's got nothing to do with cheating in the game. That we're every every one of the schools we've brought up, literally every one of the schools we brought up has had teams has had games vacated at some point. That's just part that's of. True. It, it is. Go back and look. You could all of the 2000s were vacated for Ohio State. Syracuse has had a number of vacated games, especially recently. Uh, I'd have to go back and look at Cincinnati, but the majority of these schools, especially the high, higher major schools, have had vacated games from the past. Uh, and even you know, you look at you know, like Jason Terry's one you could reference. I think they had like eight or nine games vacated that year. Um, nothing has happened from the Sean Miller FBI thing because nothing. I mean, if something would have happened, well, yeah, something well, would have happened I mean, by now. Nothing happened with Lute Olson either until after the fact that he was retired, right? From my recollection of everything but anyways i don't it happened a while ago i get it it's part of the game um i'm playing the devil's advocate over here i just think when i look at the resume of ohio state who just chopped wood for 115 years and it's more accomplished than you you know as a program even recently more recently than you when you guys think that you're some blue blood program out west the harvard of the west in reality you could just kind of suck in the sweet 16 and elite eight every year you're no better than xavier they beat ohio state a couple of years ago and like the round of 32 with D'Angelo, D'Angelo Russell. I, think. Oh, I, I take it way. all back. Yeah. I take it all. Back. I mean, it's a head to head tournament. Just match. I just dispelled Ohio State. Well, no, Ohio state at least had the decency to make a final four and play in a final game relatively recently, you know, but Hey, uh, you guys are ranked number one every once in a while. You think you're so great. Um, you're no better than Gonzaga. Gonzaga from my perspective is the jewel out West relative to you. They are um, now. Yeah, no, they definitely are. Hey, but yeah, I, hey. I call it like I see it, all right? I'm not a Sean Miller supporter, but I'm not a detractor, I suppose, either. Uh, the way I look at it is this. A couple of my thoughts on Arizona. 11 Elite Eights and four Final Fours. That's the driving factor as to why they're here. Legendary coach in Lute Olsen who, uh, you know, say what you want about Jim Beheim. I think he's on the other end of the spectrum in terms of a guy that probably gets overlooked in terms of the legendary coaches uh, and that that bucket. And of course, Taylor, you had mentioned great home court. Mikhail Center is fantastic. Uh, but I can't help but say that, that this is an underwhelming spot for them because they really should have more Final Fours. I'm not saying that they should have more titles. It's very difficult to win the whole thing. But when teams like South Carolina, Loyola Chicago, VCU, those guys are going to Final Fours with far less talent than Arizona is. It leaves you kind of scratching your head. And they've been in Glendale, right? The Laurie Marketing game, you brought up Xavier Shark. They lost that game. They were up eight with like two minutes to go in the Sweet 16. That was a perfect, perfect avenue for them to get to the Final Four. They never did. So the area of opportunity here is not necessarily national titles, but Final Fours. And they've left a lot of those on the tables uh, table as Exhibited by what Taylor said, five straight elite eight losses, uh, and then you would yeah you you can't 
go on right now without saying how there is a bit of a cloud over the program for the past few years. Sean Miller has gone from this, I don't know, lovable, uh, maybe not lovable, but like salt of the earth, gritty type of coach at Xavier and has sort of transformed himself into a villain. I don't think a lot of people like Sean Miller now. He's the butt of a lot of jokes. He's uh, the poster child for sweating memes. Uh, not a lot of people like Sean Miller on the national stage, I would say, but he is the last successful coach to never have gotten to a Final Four. I think there's maybe one or two other coaches that you could mention, but with Mark Few going a couple of years ago, it now leaves Sean Miller as probably the best coach or most successful coach to have never been to, to a Final Four. I'd also like to say please don't sleep on the old-school cactus logo that Arizona has, uh, one of the best old-school logos on, not only on the court but just on paper as well. Uh, so those are a few of the things that you need to mention about Arizona, and for me, it's that they do, they, they deserve this 11 spot. They've got a great history. They have a very, very sustained amount of success from the late 80s all the way up until today, really. Uh, but there's there's opportunity left on the table. They they could probably have two, maybe even three more Final Fours, and I think you'd see them at, at maybe an 8 to 10 spot. Yeah, you know, Arizona's 13th all-time in wins and 8th all-time in winning percentage. So that goes to the exact point of saying that they are literally there well, every year since the, you know, the early 80s. And uh, mid-70s, they were all right as well. Um, but to be that high but only have the amount of Final Fours, uh, I, I guess it's, it's all about in, in terms of uh, splitting hairs like we discussed multiple times on this episode. They're one of the best basketball programs in the country because they're always there and they are always in the news for good things, despite what Nap has or what Shark has said. You know, they've they had the most five star recruits in the country outside of Duke and Kentucky over the last decade or two. Um, and so they're always in the news. Uh, they're all they have a number of NBA players. Uh, you know, Steve Kerr is our our biggest ambassador and he's on Sports Center daily so arizona basketball is around everywhere the problem is is they're not around the national the final four putting any rings on their fingers and that's really the the problem with arizona basketball i will say and in, in i i used to be the biggest sean miller supporter and i've kind of lessened off that a little bit not because anything to do with the fbi stuff because i think that's all bullshit but more to do with the fact that we can't just continue to churn out all these nba players without any you know, actual banners being hung in McHale Center. But in his defense, Lute Olsen had this same, not with the attitude, because everybody really loved Lute Olsen na nationwide, but in terms of his first 10 or 12 years at Arizona, he didn't have very much success either. He did have a Final Four in there, but what Lute was known as was as a coach that took all these really great teams to, to lose in the first round or two that obviously changed as he went throughout his career. But I think that's the only reason that Arizona fans give, have so much patience with Sean Miller is it's an older fan base. And I think they've seen this movie before, not with the same exact plot, but hopefully with a similar ending in terms of top end success. Yeah. I, I think though, even a fluke final four would kind of, I mean, take a shitload of stress off of Sean. I think the breaking point or where the relationship really started to deter was when you have DeAndre Ayton, the clear-cut oh, number one overall 100%, 100%. pick, 100%. right? And you just get walloped by Buffalo. 
and it was kind of an underwhelming season. They were a four seed, I think. Going, I mean, a lot of people they were ranked number one in the country at, at one point, and it was just an ominous season. They 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 flamed out in Atlantis over Thanksgiving, uh, and it, it was kind of a th- those that was the bookend to that season. Uh, but when you have that level of talent, you can't lose first round games to Buffalo. Just simply cannot happen. Uh, so yeah, Arizona coming in at number eleven. Speaking of Arizona, and we'll talk a little bit about some news and notes real quick. Uh, no Pac twelve play until twenty twenty one. Absolutely devastating for uh, me and Taylor for sure. But uh, this, you know, this much like Kevin Sumlin in Arizona football, this might be good for Sean. Skates by. Scoots scoots some criticism with less games being played, but uh, no Pac-12 being played until 2021. Shark, what do you think about this means for the rest of uh, the college basketball landscape? Do you think we're going to be getting hoops in 2020 for the rest of the other conferences? Yeah, I think they're going to play. It's kind of at least the Power Five conferences, which would kind of suck for the – I mean, college football is one thing. The the crappy schools from the non-major conferences aren't going to have an impact on the final results of the season. Someone from the Power Five is going to win college football every single year. Basketball, someone from the Power Five is going to win, but you don't miss out on a lot of the upsets. So hopefully they find a way to get a tournament, but I just think the Power Five schools are going to find a way to have a season because of the money that they're going to need. And they're probably looking at the NBA and what the NFL is going to do. They're going to play. And if those kids are at school, if you can find a way to keep them quarantined, you don't have you know 80 kids running around that you have to test all the time. You got 15. Uh, you can find a way to do it. Friendly reminder that this – this whole sporting year really doesn't count unless it fits my narrative. I will be applying COVID asterisks uh, to teams that win titles that doesn't fit my narrative, especially on Twitter. So, you know, we're hedging bets here. We're, we're good either way is what I would say. No, I completely agree. I think the only thing I would say about uh, the COVID situation as it currently stands and um, is that, you know, for football, I understand the difficulty, right? Um, but the, these two conferences still had five months now to come up with some kind of plan to, to do something, and they came up with nothing. And so I wish I had confidence in, in them to figure out how to put a basketball season together. But to say I have confidence in anything the Pac-12 brass does or anything the NCAA brass does would be a misnomer. And then B, it just goes to the overwhelming point that we make all the time, especially this last year with, uh, you know, like the James Wiseman situation, um, but extrapolate that out to almost all the issues we talk about. And that is we've got to figure out how what we're considering these players. Are they students? Are they amateurs? Are they professionals? Do can they only are we only playing because they're now going to make you money, but we don't want them to play in, during this part of the season because it's dangerous and they're amateurs. It's just another issue that comes with the, what are we doing here with these players? Are they amateurs? Yes. Are they, are we going to pay them? Are we going to not pay them? Are we going to decide what they can or cannot do? So on and so forth. I don't have the answers to that. I just think it's frustrating that in fact, you, us three don't have answers, but the people who are actually paid to make these decisions, like tens of millions of dollars to make these decisions, also don't have any answers. And that's what's the frustrating part. Well, you know what the most absurd part is? If you go back to, you know when people are like, if you could go back to high school and tell your younger self something, what would you tell them? If I could go back to March when the Big East tournament got canceled, the one thing I would tell myself is don't have any hope or stop deluding yourself by saying, oh, this is probably going to be done by July. 
because here we are in August uh, with no Pac-12, uh, no Pac-12 season. So, I mean, I feel like leadership kind of had that same sense of dumb optimism, but I'm not these. Uh, I'm just a crazy fan who just wants and wishes things away, right? But I feel like leadership is like, eh, it'll probably be gone by July or August. Now here we are. Shark, you wanted to say something? Yeah, it's a lot of stuff that we don't have the answers to. I would just say the one saving grace, I think, between college basketball versus what we're experiencing with college football right now is the fact that college basketball, the end product, actually does have a leadership with it. So the NCAA runs the NCAA tournament. There is no NCAA necessarily running the college football playoff and running all these other things. That's completely handled. That's handled completely differently. The NCAA hosts the tournament at the very end of it. So if you can find a way for conferences to figure out how they want to do it, to get into this tournament at the end, which is a massive money-making machine for them, I think that there is an incentive to actually get programs bubbled up, bubble them up, baby, put them in some bubble wrap, find a way to play a regular season, seed them up for next March. And then there's a way to do it with what we're seeing with the NBA right now. So I think I'm pretty optimistic for that to happen and the college basketball season to happen. It's just going to look so differently, which sucks because, you know, without getting political, it's like, you know, how can this not be figured out at this point where we can move on? Um, You know, some States are open. Some States aren't. Some people want to play. Some people don't want to play. If people want to play, why don't you just let them play? I don't know. Deeper questions for for a podcast about theater and college hoops. <laughs> well, I, I, not to go too much deeper into that, but I but I, I agree in the sense that if all these, you know, the separation between athlete and normal student is already so wide, like who cares at this point? So if they want to play in the bubble and they're all doing online classes, what does it matter if they're at home or if they're on the, at the facility? You know, I think that people from the outside think that there's this like huge you know like grouping of oh yeah the students and the basketball players and the football players they all just hang out and it's all just love and peace and rainbows those motherfuckers are in the facility doing whatever the hell they want anyway it doesn't really matter you know like the the the, the fact that people think that these guys are just showing up to like a a 6 a, a 7 a.m lecture like every other student every other day and that it matters to them I, is completely false and the other side of it the stuff that nobody wants to say because it's not gonna it's not what people necessarily want to hear but um there's a lot of people that have scholarships that argue for hey let's give let's pay the let's pay these college athletes let's pay them well you know what you're realizing real soon that nobody gives a shit about the program college programs uh for sports that don't produce any revenue and also for players that can't profit off their own likeness so your sport doesn't exist so do you want to play you can play people are going to watch but right now nobody's watching because you can't put it on so you can't necessarily sponsor all these other programs so the pay the players amateurism all that argument I don't think that's going to fly. You're never going to pay some guy playing, you know, water polo at Stanford a salary to go be there because nobody's going to watch that. They benefit off of the big sports. And if the big sports don't go, then I'm sorry. You can't pay these kids and these student athletes to be there. Yeah. And I mean, to be fair, I don't know if our stance has ever been to actually pay the guys, but rather you had mentioned it, uh, profit off the likeness. Right. So sure. even, yeah. even, even, which is the, a select few. Yeah. I mean, it's yeah, no, exactly like an AOC for Duke. Or I think he's on Creighton now, but like Alex O'Connell, his jersey's not flying off the shelves when like a, a Zion Williamson is, is readily available. So, yeah. and, th- and thank you for saying that because that's what I meant when I was going through and saying, 
I should have said compensating the players, not from the school, but just in their ability no, to I agree. do that. Yeah, I, I, no, I agree. We're all saying the same thing. Shark, you had mentioned a little bit uh, about optimism. I know there's some serious optimism right there in Rocky Top down in Knoxville. Want to talk a little bit about your boy Kennedy Chandler stealing him from the Memphis guys? That's not me. That, I, I, I didn't try to two step on him too much a little bit. I think I sent a quick, I tried to do a gif off with the chief. He didn't want to gif off with me. He didn't want to gif. Yeah, um, you Leota laughed him. Oh, I did Leota laugh him. I had a few more in the chamber. I was ready to go, but geez, that can't feel good. Can't, the school, the, oh, we're, we're the. I mean, we were talking about the Fab Five earlier in this episode. We're so flashy. We're getting all the young guys. We got Penny. We got this. We got that. And then boring old Rick Barnes brings his country ass over to Memphis and swipes probably the most electric player in the class of 2021. Yeah, it's 2021 at this point. But gosh, man, Tennessee really shaping up to be an absolute powerhouse. for the, We're talking about the our manifesto and our top 50. I guarantee in five years tennessee is within at least within the top 50 can we get a shot guarantee I, I guarantee <laughs> clip, clip that in uh all right but yeah kennedy chandler big get there for rick barnes going into memphis and pulling him all the way to to knoxville so before we introduce our next segment here we want to remind you that you can listen to us on dash radio's nothing but net channel shark i'm going to kick it to you for our next segment, it's titled "Last Four In, First Four Out." Yeah, so this is um, this was born on Twitter. Very bored during the pandemic. On Fridays, I would send out a tweet from the Shark account, the underscore Shark underscore Double B. Uh, Friday bracketology in the interests of Joey Lenardi, always putting up his bracketology for something new to look forward to. This is more of a something um, the little things in life. Some of them are big, some of them are little. I tweet it out every Friday at closing time during the work week, and I send out my last four in, uh, which are supposed to be good things in life. They can be anything from a player that had a good week to a uh, airport restaurant like I did this past week. And then I have my first four out, which are things that are um, pessimistic, things that didn't go very well, or big, large issues like wrongful convictions, or people that are intolerant of other people's cultures, or a bad airport restaurant so i mean i I, i'm gonna send these out every week i'm always open for suggestions um but yeah i mean i'll just read what i did this past week if that's good with you and then i'll let you go cook your dinner um but we got last four in this week we're naked bootlegs on a fourth and short love that i hate when you run the ball on fourth and short i hate when you go shotgun on fourth and short i love a little deception Get in an eye formation and let your quarterback loose on the backside. Let him get those few yards. A little what misdirection. About, what about fades on? Uh, like, no. I do too. Are good? Jay Gruden. Jay Gruden should have been fired two years ago when he kept running in the fades to Josh Doxson over and over again. Now both those guys' careers are pretty much over. Anyways, my next last four in was Damian Lillard's range. This was fresh off of a few, uh, few games when he was pulling up from half court. That was good. That was in. That was making the last four in. Um, after that was the Chili's at O'Hare International Airport, but the one in Terminal 3. Subi, I conferred with you on this beforehand because we talked about the various Chili's in O'Hare. This is the one that's more open air, open space, good TV setup, roundabout bar. You can move. You can put your stuff down. Terminal 3. You can attest to it. It, it 
sets the tone for your airport experience. I hate O'Hare. It's not a good airport experience, uh, but that's probably the one saving grace. So I guess it doesn't set the tone for your airport experience. It's probably just a, a, a mirage, if you will, but you get right through security and there is that Chili's too. Yeah, it's a really, it's a really, really sound airport uh, setup for me. I really enjoy it. Great stay, makes you feel like you're traveling. Yeah, good, good conversation starter right there as well. And then my last, last four name was playoff sports. You know, I sent this last Friday. We had playoffs coming up. Even right now, uh, the Rockets and the Thunder are going. Um, it's just good to watch. And plus, you're getting them on during the day. And we talked about a lot of that earlier in the show. First four route. I'll just go quickly here. Fall Saturdays. I mean, what the hell are we going to do in the fall on Saturdays at this point? No football. Um, I'm hurting. Like I, I'm honestly thinking about like taking up hunting or fishing, being an outdoor outdoor guy on Saturday. Um, but rumblings that the Big Ten might might have just lied to us all last week, and they might be back. Who knows? Hey, maybe live in a warmer place that you can just free up more golf time on Saturday. Well, no, I'm, I'm definitely going to golf. I've been golfing like crazy. I mean, I don't know if you heard, but I'm kind of lighting it up. Yeah. I, drive, I drive 300 consistently over here. No, late November in DC, you're going to go golf, huh? Oh yeah, that's fine. That's fine at DC. We're good. We're good. Um, but yeah, that was one of them. The Boston Red Sox, they're out. What a disaster of a franchise. Just disgusting. Um, we're we're going to leave that right there. The Chili's at O'Hare Terminal 1. Now, this is a very different experience of a Chili's in O'Hare. This one is compact. This one is you can't move. Uh, dark, desolate. Not a good conversation starter and way too compact, close to way too too, too many terminals. Subi, tell I'll, me. I was, was going to say the shark also conferred and uh, consulted with me on this one. I will say hand up. My uh, experience might have been a, a little shifted because I was coming back from fucking India and I was so tired. It was from India to Arizona and I had a layover in O'Hare and all I wanted was some good old fashioned American meat from Chili's. I wanted an old timer. And uh, I was just cranky. I think I had a nosebleed. I was sweating, just disgusting coming from India. It was just a bad experience in that, Chili's. Quite an image you just gave me right there. And then the last thing for first four out, this is a quote. Uh, You've probably seen this on Twitter a lot lately. The previous week I did one. um, Actually, that's the tweet. That was the one from two weeks ago. I hate when people say "That's that's it. That's the tweet. This one is, I did a thing. Oh, when someone tweets out i did a thing i accepted a new job at you know american express as if we're supposed to be you know two step in and dancing around over there not to bring up your company over there sue but i did a thing i hate that you didn't do a thing send your tweet move on with your life i just think i dislike how it's you know they they come at you with a generality and you're like oh what, what is the thing or like I wrote a thing. I feel like a lot of athletic writers say that, or ringer writers, or you know, so it's just fishing. Like, it's it, it's just fishing yeah. for for compliments or questions. I, it, it is it is a ringer writer thing right there too. So that was a good, you know, it's kind of just what, what are these people? These hipster sport hipster Twitter sports folks that just have these. Um, <sighs> prepared packaged responses that just you can sense their smugness through the tweet that's one of those right there i can't handle it i got a few more too that i'll be unveiling as the weeks go on oh i was going to bring up another one but i will i'll i'll, I'll leave it at that then that's fine. No, why not I, no bring it up well since yeah. you brought up the, the red sox in baseball i was hoping that maybe the next four out would be un, their unwritten rules of baseball yeah that's true 
That's so good. That Fernando Tatis thing is maddening. So dumb. No, that's yeah. why. That's why this is a basketball podcast, and that's why we don't have a baseball podcast because you know they can't. They can't bring fans in because you're not allowed to root for like the players who are exciting. First four out definitely will have unwritten rules. Great yeah, poll, cool. topical. Everybody agrees that that'll get some hits. That, that's, the, that's the tweet right there. Let me, <laughs> let me tell you guys something a little bit about versatility. We dropped hockey in this. We've obviously talked NBA. We've talked college basketball, and now we finish it off with baseball called versatility it's called pivoting nfl also, and pre- nfl and college football as well yeah. too both both versions and the armageddon montage can you actually play us out with that one right there i love that theme song from that movie harry stamper save the world shark shark on twitter do me a favor find a better comp for michigan than ferris bueller please will do <laughs>